Today we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Thank you, Ben. Family, you may be seated. And if you want to get a head start, uh, those passages that Ben just read for us are exactly where we'll be uh, for our sermon this morning. So that'd be Mark chapter 1 and Matthew 28, which in most of our Bibles is going to be right across the page from one another. This morning's a little bit different in case uh, if you're visiting with us, just so you know what's going on. Uh, this is one of what we call a family celebration Sunday. So we're taking a break from our series in 1 Corinthians, our gospel form series. We're taking a break. And actually next week we'll begin our, our time in Advent. So we'll be going in a different direction there as well. This week uh, for our family celebration, we'll spend time looking at the passage in Mark and then Matthew, and we'll conclude our worship gathering a little bit early today so that we can uh, go on outside and share a family meal together, and and hopefully we'll be joined by some who are with us in the 09 hour as well. Although they showed up, or they were here, and they got to enjoy um, all the cinnamon rolls from, is it brown? Brown roll. And uh, hey, just as a heads up too, what we're kind of trying to do with these meals is uh, we're really trying to support some local businesses who have um, suffered uh, throughout this year, especially with, you know, with, with COVID. And so brown roll would be one of those places. So if you came early and you enjoyed your brown roll, cinnamon roll, or your kid like mine took like two for each hand and one for their mouth, um, would you, uh, I think just one of the kindest things that we can do and the ways that we can love them is they do have a Facebook page and you could leave a kind comment on their page, rate them, just kind of publicize their business for them. And same here with Blue, Blue Cafe's truck. For the last couple of years, Uh, We have been utilizing their services for a lot of our gatherings, and they've been very kind to our family. And I just, I just spoke with them a few moments ago, and this, it's their family business, it's their livelihood, and it's been a very, very hard year for them. So I think one of the ways that we can do good in our neighborhood and love them would not, not, would be more than just even thanking them in person, but they also have a Facebook page, and we can, uh, we can do right by them that way as well, and, and really love and serve them well. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Okay, let's pray, and we'll get right down to work. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for adopting us in. Jesus, we thank you for submitting to the Father's plan, living a perfect life in our place, dying a substitutionary death on our behalf, dying for us, but also rising again for us. And so we live through your resurrection. We realize that apart from your resurrection, we don't have life. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing our hearts to life and for tuning our hearts to hear 
our Father's voice for the first time, and, and, and not just for the first time, but every day since then. And so we pray this morning that you would uh, again tune our, our ears to hear our dad's voice and predispose our hearts for us so that we, when we hear our dad's voice, we would respond appropriately as his sons and daughters. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So you had a good Thanksgiving? It was good? Yeah. Um, nobody's events were highlighted on social media, like no drama there, right? Good? <laughs> yes, one yes. Fantastic. Um, I love Thanksgiving. I think it's my favorite, one of my favorite holidays on the calendar. Uh, it was growing up when we got married off. The ransoms kind of clung to Thanksgiving, like that was when we all still gathered back at mom and dad's. The other holidays we would scatter, scatter but Thanksgiving was the, the main event, if you will. So as you can imagine, this changed quite a bit living over here. Of course, I miss my family, but I, I, I really miss football on Thursday, like on Thanksgiving Day. It's just not the same. Like I just assume wait till Friday and celebrate then so I can, and yes, not no, yes. And um, I miss going out in the yard and running around with my brothers and at least in our own minds, living some of the glory that we believed we should have, you know, as, as the athletes that clearly we are. Um, I miss that. Recently, I uh, read an article about Vince Lombardi, one of the greatest coaches of all time in football, arguably, even if you don't like his team. And um, they had suffered a devastating end to the 1960 season. And so when Lombardi came back in 61, he walks into the, the, the training camp room. He's got all his salty veterans in there. And so they're expecting one style of leadership. And he shows up and he's got a football in his hand. He holds it up and kind of sets the tone for the rest of the year. Do you know what he said about the football? This is a football. I mean, so th that would be the equivalent of you coming in here every Sunday morning and me holding this up and saying, hey, family, this is a Bible, okay? Bible, right? I mean, that's basically what he did uh, for these salty veterans. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. And then he began this methodical coverage of the fundamentals that continued throughout training camp. And each player was required to go back to the basics. Peewee football. I'm going to teach you a word today, fellas. It's tackle. And, and here's how we tackle, right? That's how we handled every one of his veterans. And they, they opened up the playbook and they started from page one. And it was that year that his team would become the best in the league at the tasks, listen, that everyone else took for granted. And six months later, uh, his Packers would beat the Giants 37 to nothing to win the championship. Now, this sermon is not about becoming the best church. It's not a sports theme. It's clear we're not in competition, so it's not even about competing, obviously, with other churches on the island. We're all uh, different expressions of our father's family. There's no competition. The talk is not about being something better than who we are. The focus here really is our father's story of redemption. We know that our God is working to make all things new. Many of us have uh, experienced that work personally. He has set out to rescue rebels and restore them and to set crooked things straight, to establish justice and unleash streams of mercy, to give life where there is death. And we participate in this. Like the work, the unfolding story of redemption is not something we passively watch. We're, we're actual participants in this work that our father's doing. We exist as a family for Jesus' fame and the good of people. 
And today, our family celebration, if you will, it's kind of our Lombardi moment, if we will allow it to be, as we kind of recalibrate or recenter ourselves on the gospel as a family. So it's our Lombardi moment. It's our summer of 61. And I know only a few of you experienced the summer of 61. Ron said it was, oh wait, wait, he's just coming in the door. Ron said the summer of 61 was really good. But, um, love you, Ron. I was, still I was still 19 years out at that point. Guys, Jesus does not call us to advance our game to the next level. So just like this whole Lombardi thing, I'm not trying to draw parallels between football and the church, right? We're not, um, that's not what it's about. But rather, here's the parallel. In the same way that they needed to open their playbook to page one, because that's what the Father calls us to do as a family all the time. Like we open our playbook to page one. And when Ben read for us from Matthew chapter 28 and Mark 1, those, uh, there we have lots of page ones, I guess. Those are page ones for us. Those are page ones. So Matthew 28, we could ask ourselves as we look at it in our Bibles and on the screen, what are the fundamentals that we see there? Uh, what, what are the tasks that we tend to take for granted as followers of Jesus? And we learn very quickly in this passage that we learn a very important word. We are disciples of Jesus. That's what Jesus calls us. And so we ask, okay, what, what is a disciple? What, what is a disciple? I, I like the way Jeff Vanderstelt defines the word disciple. He says, a disciple is one who is increasingly worshiping Jesus so that would mean in my rebellion, I increasingly worshiped myself, right? I, I was at the center of my world, um, but as a disciple, I am unlearning self-worship and I am learning rightful worship of Jesus. So he is increasingly at the, worship just means he's at the center of my existence. He's my greatest value, right? So we're increasingly worshiping Jesus, increasingly being changed by him. He is actually changing my life and I'm increasingly obeying Jesus in all of life. That is, that is a disciple. So if all we had was this paragraph, we, what would we know about the life of a disciple? Right from Matthew 28, what would we know about the life of a disciple? Well, we see a number of, of aspects here. A disciple looks for Jesus and looks to Jesus by following his words. Notice that Matthew wrote that his disciples went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So disciples learn to look for Jesus and to look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus for us becomes an act of obedience. He's told us to look for him. He's told us to seek him out. And so we go where he tells us we can find him. We find him in his word and we find him in community with his family. And so we learn to look to Jesus in joy, in sorrow, in victory, in defeat, in hope, in frustration, despair, anger, sadness, our lives are reoriented around looking to and for Jesus. In our rebellion, we run away from him. So we look to him, we worship him. We learn that Jesus is worth more than anything or anyone else. And so Jesus increasingly is at the center of our lives. Jesus first, I exist now for Jesus' fame, not my own. I do want to point out, notice what Matthew said, and I'm glad this is in here. While most of the disciples were there to worship Jesus, did you see what it said about some of them? Some doubted. I love that our Father is so honest and real with us that 
the Bible would characterize it this way, because listen, the day that sentence was written, it was true, and that sentence has been true about God's family every day since. This morning, we are here collectively to worship, but for every, for every one of us, every worshiping heart in here has some doubt, some seeds of doubt in it, for sure. Some of our hearts are currently overwhelmed by that doubt. Guys, that's a tension that will always exist in God's family. It matters if you're a doubter that you're here, and I want you here, and we want you here, right? None of us are perfect. We all have seasons of doubt, and we all have seeds of doubt in our heart. The gospel gently eradicates those over time, but it's a lifetime. So you don't have to be perfect and free from doubt in order to be a part of this family. What's important is that we are together in this. And so in your season of doubt, you're surrounded by people who are not uh, being overwhelmed by that doubt. We love each other and we serve each other and we point each other to Jesus in this. So disciples look for Jesus, they worship Jesus, they submit to Jesus' authority. Notice what Jesus said, he said, all authority has been given to me. So a disciple is somebody that recognizes, look, Jesus has ultimate authority over my life. I give that up. In my rebellion, I claimed authority. As a follower of Jesus, one of the surest signs that I am a disciple of Jesus is this, this rejection of autonomy or independence or attempt at authority. I don't have it. It belongs to Jesus. A disciple initiates with people outside the family. Jesus said, hey, I want you to go and make disciples. Uh, Maybe you've heard it said this way, in your going, make disciples. It just means as a way of life, we initiate with people outside the family for their good so that they see Jesus and they look to him as well. And we invest in these people. Uh, Jesus didn't just leave it as make disciples. He said, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them the ways of Jesus. And when you end a word with ing, there's a certain measure of like, hey, this is just this continuing thing that we do. It's a way of life. And so disciples are not dependent on church programs or buildings, or this is just a way of life in our neighborhoods where we learn to help others look to Jesus. And disciples depend on the Father Jesus said to them, I am with you always. And whenever the Father, whenever Jesus communicates that he's with us, it's a reminder that we desperately need him with us. Because apart from him, apart from his presence, we don't have the power that we we need to be who he's called us to be. We are entirely dependent upon his presence and power. Now, we often read that passage and we focus on what we're supposed to do, right? We, we, We see Matthew 28, we know it as the great what? commission, you've heard some talks on it, you've read some books, some sermons, like, all right, this is, there are your marching orders, like a good Christian does these things. And we should rightly focus on what Jesus calls us to. However, if our approach on that passage is only to see the things that we have to do, we, as Lombardi would say, miss our football. We totally miss the football. Those sermons or those talks, those books will be high on guilt and low on grace. If that's our approach, we miss the football because what we do is meant to flow from who we are. And if we get that backwards, uh, we get the gospel wrong, uh, we, we get it wrong. The gospel does not traffic in guilt. The gospel does not traffic in guilt. In fact, guilt chains the heart. Grace, on the other hand, changes the heart. Guilt will always chain your heart down. Grace, the gospel, gratitude, however, will change a heart. So gratitude motivates, not guilt. And at the heart of this paragraph, look, all this stuff we talked about already, what a disciple does is really important. 
but it's secondary to who a disciple is. And we saw at the heart of this paragraph exactly who a disciple is. It's often overlooked, but it's critically important. We know it as our baptismal identity, or the identity that our Father gives us in baptism. And that's what he's talking about when he says, I want you to baptize them into or in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's our baptismal identity. Uh, look, for, for God's family, baptism was and is an act of initiation. It's the way that we welcome them into the family. Like some of your communities welcome new people in through acts of hazing, or at least you used to back in the day. This is our version of hazing. Like we baptize, it's initiation. I mean, you really are submerging them underwater. They can't breathe, so there it is. Um, it's an act of initiation, and it's rich with meaning. It's not just merely invoking a name, not a religious formula, not some empty incantation to make us sound slick and religious and professional. It's not what it is. They're spoken words which correspond with the physical act that together display a spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality is by faith, we are coming into relationship with God he is now my father, my, my identity is anchored in my father and in the son and in the spirit. That's what's going on. To be baptized in or into the name of someone is to be placed into the possession of that person or in union with that person. It's just like God would say to his people all through the Old Testament, I will be your God and you will be my people. In baptism, the Father speaks over you and says, I will be your God forever, and you will be my people forever. Into the name points to the reality of who God is. And so when we hear this, that we're being baptized in the name or into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, it's, it's part of our reorientation as father, followers of Jesus now. We're, we're understanding that our identity is now wrapped up in who God is, what God has done, and what he speaks over us as his family. That's why we call it our baptismal identity. I can summarize it all this way, guys, as Christians. Baptism is a naming ceremony. We should be more ceremonial when we name our kids. Yeah, I mean, we at least from my own experience, I kind of wish we had been more ceremonial about it, given some weight to it. Baptism is the weight to the naming of a new follower of Jesus. It is the naming ceremony that we should have in the hospital for each one of our children as they're born, or the, sorry, the alternative birthing center uh, for those of you that want to go there, right? Either way, it should be ceremonial. Baptism focuses on what God has done. Uh, we're going to have two baptisms here next week, one in the 09 and, and one in the 11. And sometimes in baptism, we, we, we get a little off kilter and we think the focus is on what we have to say about God and what we, we're going to do for God or what we've done for God. But in baptism, the focus is on what the Father has done for us in Jesus and through the Spirit. I love the cultural use of this word. Back in the day when the New Testament was written, the word baptism or baptizo would have been used culturally in the marketplace, like for somebody who, who made clothes, and they would baptize the garments before they took them to the market. And what they mean by that is they would dip these things in a dye that would forever stain and mark the life of that clothing article. And so that word is taken up for us in the New Testament to help us understand that in our baptism, it's signifying that there is this change that is taking place in us that is forever. It is a forever change. 
And that change is this. In my rebellion, I, defined my, I, I was defined by what I said about myself. I was defined by what other people said about me. But now, as a member of God's family, we learn that we are defined by what our Father speaks over us. It's totally life-changing. And so in baptism, our naming ceremony, the Father establishes us in our identity. And here it is. We are a family, sons and daughters of servant missionaries. Guys, this is our football, okay? If Lombardi were here and holding something up, for, for us as followers of Jesus, as a, as a family, this is it. This is our football. We are our Father's family of servant missionaries. And we see those three aspects of our identity, our identity, family, servant, and missionary, most clearly in Jesus' baptism, which Ben read for us in Mark chapter 1. Let me just reread what he said. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my deeply loved or beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So the father has the speaking role in this scene, right? If we're looking for the characters and the plot line, we see the father has the speaking role, and the words that he chooses, chooses to speak over Jesus are short and to the point. Jesus, you are my son. You are my deeply loved son. And in you, I am well pleased. These three words taken together were a fulfillment of a prophetic psalm, Psalm 2-7, which says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son. So this was a prophetic Fulfillment, where the Father is publicly announcing, this is the one that I promised. And so Jesus' baptism served as a public announcement for everybody who was standing around, uh, or we would say it this way, it went Facebook official on that day. Like, the Father publicly announced, this is my deeply loved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is his family identity. So, when we are baptized as new followers of Jesus in the name of the Father, the public identity that is being declared is a, it is the family piece of our identity. When we are baptized in the name of the Father, the same words that he spoke over Jesus, you are my deeply loved son and I am well pleased in you, are spoken over every one of us who are baptized. You are my deeply loved daughter. I love you, and I am pleased in you. To be baptized into the name of the Father is a sign that we are adopted by him and forever kept. That's what Paul was so passionate about. We see this all over Ephesians chapter 1. He reminds us in verses 4 and 5 where he says, guys, you know, it's in love that the Father predestined us. He, he, he chose before time to seek you out, Ben, and you, John, and you, Sean, and you, you, all of you who are in his family. He chose to seek you out and adopt you in. And here's what I love about the adopting love of our Father. Um, I was a foster dad before Linnea and I had our own biological children. I fostered a young boy named Matthew, and then Evelyn, 
and Nevaeh, they came together. They were sisters. Uh, Evelyn was two weeks old, a little preemie that fit like right in my left hand. And we called her Squeaks because that's all she did. She squeaked. And then there was Eric. Eric was with us for a long time. But um, obviously, if you know my family, you know that we don't have a son named Eric. Uh, we don't have daughters named Evelyn or Nevaeh. And we don't have a Matthew. We, we, they're gone. So for a season, they were part of our home, part of our family, part of our hearts. But they're gone. Guys, God is an adoptive father. Fostering matters in our culture a lot, and it's a beautiful expression of the gospel. But our father never fosters. He only adopts. He only adopts. He plays for keeps. No seasons with our dad. Like, you're either in the family or you're not. And when he sets out to adopt you in, he's adopting you in and he's keeping you in the family. And so what this good news of the gospel reminds us, and this is why, guys, this is why we have a family celebration day. Just to recalibrate on the gospel, this is our football and we celebrate our dad. On your worst day, you're still a son. And on your worst day of being a Christian, you're still a daughter. You're adopted in Jesus. And you're not just adopted in, you are affirmed just like Jesus was. So on your worst day, the Father still speaks over you in Jesus. You are my deeply loved daughter, and I am so pleased in you. So pleased. Guys, 2020 has been hard, yeah? It's been a hard year. And if we're honest, there have been seasons in this year where we have not responded well to our circumstances or to the people in our lives. Is that, is that fair to say? This season particularly, late 2020, has been, for me personally, um, very difficult. And for me, there are days where I am, there are weeks where I am not responding well to my circumstances or to people in my life. Because you know what the Father says to us in the gospel in those worst of seasons? He says, I love you, and I am so pleased in you, son. He says to you, son, you don't work for affirmation in my family. You don't work for approval in, in my family. In my family, you work from the position of approval and affirmation and acceptance. You are accepted in Christ. You are forever kept in Christ. Man, fostering, we had to learn so much. And I, I still can't believe they allowed us to foster. I was like, I mean, I was right out of the Marine Corps. I was a single Marine the whole time and in the barracks. So I just like took care of young Marines. And now I'm like never been a parent. And my wife and I are taking care of foster kids who have experienced so much trauma. And so much of the trauma is related to this understanding that if they, if they don't make their current household approve of them and like them, they will be out of the family and onto a new home. And that cycle is vicious and repetitive. Guys, that's how most of us live the Christian life. It's like we're playing, he loves me, he loves me not with a flower, and we're so uncertain. Guys, our Father couldn't be more clear in the gospel. Your, his love for you is not conditioned on your performance. In the gospel, the Father's love for you is conditioned on Jesus' perfect performance in your place. And so we are deeply loved and affirmed and accept, accepted, and that's why we just... We want to prioritize on a day like today, a family celebration where we celebrate the good work our Father has done for our good. That's the only reason the food truck's out there. It's the only reason we need. We are a celebratory family, not because of what we do, but because of what our Father has done for us. That's, we don't need any other reason to feast and to celebrate. So there's the family identity and then the servant identity. Jesus establishes us in this identity of servant 
So we're baptized in the name of the Father. That is the Father publicly declaring, yo, that is my son. And next week we will see two ladies in our family baptized and the Father will be speaking over them publicly. That's my daughter and I deeply love her and she is never going anywhere. She's in my family, okay? And then we will baptize them in the name of the Father and we will baptize them in the name of the Son, Jesus. And in that um, in Jesus' name, they're being established in a servant identity. And you're like, John, I'm, I'm looking at the passage right here. I don't see any words about being a servant. Good, you don't. They're not in there. It's, it, it's not what's spoken in this scene. It's what we see in this scene. That's where we see, we, we see the servant identity. And the first is, notice what happens above Jesus' head. What happens? Um, I'm sorry, that's Matthew 20. We need, we need Mark 1 for that one. In Mark 1, where Jesus is being baptized and he comes up out of the water, uh, the, the heavens are torn open. They're ripped open. And so anybody in the audience on this day, anybody who, like this would be a Jewish audience. They would have grown up in, uh, you went to Sunday school. They would have gone to Jewish Sabbath school or something. like. They would have known. Uh, they would have known. Didn't mean they would understand when they saw it, but they'd have some sense. When the heavens were torn open, uh, generations ago, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied. This is Isaiah 64.1. And he says, Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Guys, that's exactly what happened when Jesus was baptized. So when the heavens were ripped open, it was a sign for everybody present that, yep, this is the promised rescuing servant that I said I would send for your good. It would have been obvious so the heavens were turned open, torn open, and then the spirit descended. The spirit descended in the form of a dove, rested on Christ as symbolically as, as presence and empowerment for what Jesus was called to do as a servant. That was also a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. Here's Isaiah 42.1. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And when I put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations. Guys, that's an Isaiah years before Jesus would come. And so when the spirit descended, that was a sign that this was the promised rescuing servant. So Jesus' servant identity was on full display. And so when we then, as followers of Jesus, are baptized in the name of the Son, we are being baptized. We are being established in our servant identity as a family. So we are a, not just a family. We are a family of servants. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for our Father's fame and for the good of those not yet adopted in. Jesus, you might say, was just a little bit passionate about this aspect, this cultural piece of his family. Listen to what he says in Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28. He's his, his, his followers are actually arguing about leadership, and they're arguing from the cultural maxims of leadership of the day, right? You guys go to leadership stuff all the time. So that's the position they were arguing from, right? They were experts on leadership. And Jesus says to them, guys, it's not going to be that way in our family. We are a countercultural family. We don't lead from the top down. It's not how it works. He said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even, speaking of himself, as the Son of Man, as I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life for every member of the family. 
The king set aside his crown and strapped on the sandals that belonged to a servant, and he served. And so in the culture of our father's family, we don't give our lives or serve to gain our father's approval or to keep our acceptance. In our father's family, we give our lives and we serve in response to what Jesus has already done for us. And so when we are baptized in his name, we see the additional piece. We are a, fa we are a family and we are a family of servants. And then we are baptized in the name of the spirit. And when we are, the third piece of our identity is established, that we are a sent family of servants. We are a missionary family. We are an empowered and sent people. And that's what we see in Mark 1.12. We already saw the Spirit descend, and then we see the result of the Spirit being present in Jesus' life. It's a very, Mark loves short statements. You should get him in here to preach more often and get out of here a lot sooner. <laughs> It says the spirit immediately drove him out in the wilderness. And that's how Mark unfolds, how the spirit is moving Jesus and empowering him. And we see in Mark 1.14, it says Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Just Jesus showed up in the next town and he talked about the good news that the father had sent mercy and rescue instead of judgment. A little later in the chapter, verse 34, it says Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. The Spirit empowered Jesus for ministry and sent him for this missional work. How many of you volunteered to be here in Okinawa? All right, a good number of you, that's pretty impressive. How many of you have already extended once in Okinawa? All right, see, that's what I like to see. How many are just pending approval for your extension? Ah, see, now we're trending in the wrong direction. Guys, we're so accustomed in our culture to think that a monitor or a detailer controls this piece of our lives, right? That they have all this authority over us and they kind of, you know, they, they run things. But guys, the gospel lets us see that's just not the case. That may be the human means that God uses to move us around, but behind every detailer and behind every monitor is a sovereign rescuing king who sends his people places on purpose for his fame and for the good of the not re yet rescued in. So, it's clear as day for us, guys, if we are part of God's family of servant missionaries, the reason we are in Okinawa, it's not a fluke. Your father wants you here to participate in the life of his family for his fame and for the good of those not yet adopted in. Bottom line, like put a period at the end of the sentence. That's why every one of us are here and why you all just really want to extend as an act of obedience to your father. That was my part that I added in. In case you couldn't tell. Guys, I just want to affirm you here uh, on a day that we celebrate as a family. To me, you know, as we work through this First Corinthians series of Gospel Formed, to me it is so obvious that your lives are increasingly being formed by the Gospel. I see you absolutely getting after and embracing this family identity that you have been baptized into. I see you getting after and embracing this identity of servant and this identity of missionaries. I heard story after story of examples, just this Thanksgiving where you intentionally opened your homes for our father's fame and for the good of those who are not yet adopted and at great risk to yourselves that somebody would dare post on social media and you would be perceived as violating some very important regulations. But we're all good, right? Today, we're all good. So no social media at the, at the food truck uh, there either, right? We'll save the pictures for like a year from now. 
guys, you're, you're getting after it. You, you, you always have been. Our church is only four and a half years old now, and that has consistently marked the culture of the family. And that's the gospel at work, guys. A couple years ago, a guy named Theo Balboni left with his family. His wife and son had to leave a little early. It was a medical condition, so it was early return of dependence, which I hate to see, and we, but we, just, we see it all the time. This year's just been really hard like that, too. And so Theo was here well after his wife and son had left, and we, at our final missional community gathering for Theo, we're sitting around the table just affirming him in the gospel and praying for him. And so he takes the opportunity. He goes around the table one at a time just to affirm people. And... Um, yeah, I just throw this in there too. Uh, Theo was a lawyer, which was fantastic. Like if I ever need a lawyer, I want a lawyer named Balboni because I know <laughs> if he fails in court, I know he's got like cousins and uncles who will make it happen anyway. So anyway, when you go to California, look him up. He is there, a uh, private practice now. But you know what Theo said about the life of our church? Not our gatherings, not, not the preaching, not the singing, not, 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 the meals that we would host, none of those things that we so often kind of rank for value in churches. You know, you know what mattered and really impacted Theo's life? He knew he had belonged to a family of servants. And that had, that had indelibly marked his life, forever changed his life, guys, forever changed. And he sat there with tears in his eyes as a young man explaining how God radically worked in his heart during the season where his family just needed. They just needed and needed and needed. And guys, I just want to commend you. That has, in my experience, been the culture of this family. And my own family and I have been recipients of that grace. And I want to commend you for it. Because, guys, that's our football. That's our page one. We are a family of servant missionaries who exist for our father's fame and our neighbor's good. This is our baptismal identity. We've got to stay there. We can't move on from this. We, we live from this. Guys, we need the gospel reminder this morning, right? We need to hold up the football one more time and be reminded that in Jesus, we are perfectly loved. We are fully affirmed and forever kept sons and daughters. And these deep words of affirmation are spoken over you, not just in your baptism, but every day afterwards through the, through the empowering presence of the Spirit. Your Father whispers and sometimes screams these words. Screams is the wrong word. Loudly encourages you as a loving dad. He doesn't scream. Into your ears. But you know what the, 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 the twin truth of the gospel is that, that God would never have said those words over me apart from Jesus because they'd be a lie. I am not a very lovable son and my life is not the kind of life that a holy God could speak over and say, dog, I am so pleased in you. You've made me so proud today. My life has been the opposite of that. And even as a follower of Jesus, my life is so inconsistent. If it were not for Jesus, those words could not be spoken over my life or your life. A perfect God would never call me son. A perfect God would never call you daughter. But the Father in Christ says that I am a deeply loved son, and you are a deeply loved daughter, and that's why we celebrate today. A perfect God would never say he is well pleased with us, but he speaks that affirmation over us every day in Jesus, and that's why we celebrate him today. Jesus is the good news. Christ in my place by faith, we are adopted, fully accepted, and forever kept. And so we work from this, not for this. But guys, a gospel-shaped family is not just a working family. We are a resting family that values feasting and celebrating. 
And as a church family, I want you to know if you're new, I just want you to give a sense of our, our annual rhythms. We, we have what we call seasons of work and seasons of rest. And we just entered a season of rest. Now, our work rhythms are practiced most of the year. And they're practiced in those seasons where we as a family of servant missionaries absolutely get after the work that God has given us to steward here in Okinawa. Our rest rhythms are practiced in those seasons where we, as a family of servant missionaries, purpose to prioritize rest because we can trust not only in the finished work of Jesus, it's done, he said, it's done, but in the ongoing work of Jesus through his spirit. So generally what this means is when we are in a season of rest, the only church-wide schedule events outside of our weekend worship gatherings must promote rest or celebration like today. So we just entered this season. It began on November 26th, appropriately Thanksgiving Day. We entered our season of rest. Our calendar will be clear. We'll be in the season of rest until early to mid-January. Um, just so you know why we're not doing anything uh, around here. And then we'll get back after it. But we, and, and we feast in these seasons. Uh, rest is very important to us. Do you know, rest is often the most neglected work in our father's family. I mean, just rest is often the most neglected work in our father's family. I'll say a little bit more about that in my benediction, but we need to prioritize this rest so we can reorient our hearts around the gospel. So who's invited to our meal today? Um, all of you are. It doesn't matter if you've been on island for three days. Well, yes, it does. Get back in Rome. <laughs> Get out of here. You were never here. So it does matter. Okay, so if you've been here two weeks and a day, um, or three months or three years, I, like, just, I want you to know, one, we're an imperfect family. Um, you'll need to show us a lot of grace. Um, but if you're okay being part of that kind of family, we want you to be here. We really want you to be a part of our, our family of servant missionaries. And so this meal is for you. If you don't know us well, please stick around, and we will do our best to seek out and engage you and invite you into our, our family. Um, let me just close with this. In, in that story about Vince Lombardi, there was a line about becoming the best in the league at the tasks that everyone else took for granted. There's no league of churches, but that'd be kind of cool because it's kind of like League of Superheroes or something. But there's no league of churches. There's no league of churches here in Okinawa. So it's not about becoming better than other churches in these tasks. I think it's just the recognition that we tend to take these tasks that we saw today for granted. And when we do, we don't, we don't live into the reality of any of them. But just could you imagine with me for a moment what it would be like if a room with all of these people in it would be solely committed to getting back to the fundamentals, like being humble enough to say, okay, we need to be able to look at this and say this is our football, just as a reminder, and then give ourselves in 21 to following Jesus in this kind of way for his fame and for the good of people in our neighborhood. Who would not want to be a part of that kind of life-giving family? It would be incredible, and it could be reality, like it could be next year, and God could use that to adopt in so many more in our community who are not yet a part of his family, so that when we do this again next year at this time, there are twice as many people who are celebrating not what we have done or what we do, but what our good Father has done for us and continues to do for us through Jesus. Grant, as one of our pastors, is going to come now and lead us not just in a prayer of confession, but a prayer of uh, confession and celebration as well.